Welcome to the Grad School Femme Touring Podcast. This is Dr. Yvette Martinez Vu, and I will be serving as your Femme Tour, providing you with tips and tricks and everything else you need to know to get into graduate school. For the past 10 years, I've been helping undergraduate students get into top graduate programs in their field, and I'm really excited to share this information with you too. All right, welcome everyone. I am here today with a special guest. Uh, today we are joined by Rika Barden, who will be speaking to us about making space for women of color in fashion and in academia. And before we get started on our conversation, I'm going to go ahead and share her bio with you all. Rika Barden is a third year doctoral student in education. She is a vis visual researcher. Uh, and creative who examines the educational experiences of black and brown girls and women through an equity lens. Um, she's also the founder of The Scholarly Sewist, a modern lifestyle brand and social community that centers women of color in academia via fashion. Rika is excited to defend her proposal this summer. Oof, that's coming up. And advance to candidacy. Oof, so soon. Well, not too soon, though. <laughs> And then she's also excited about the reemergence of in-person educational conferences. Welcome, Rika. Thank you so much. So happy to be here. Yeah, um, I'm excited to have you here. It um, means a lot. I wanted you to maybe get us started by sharing a little bit more about yourself uh, for my listeners who may not be familiar. If you could tell us more about you and also how you got into fashion, how you got into building an online community for women of color and just anything else you'd like to share. Yes, so I'm originally from Virginia, and so I went to the University of Virginia where I did my bachelor's and master's. I actually did a dual degree program. So in five years, I had a bachelor's of psychology and a master's in teaching. And so then I taught in elementary school for 10 years. And I think it was really, I thought I was done with school doing both of those degrees so young. So in an accelerated program, I was like, I'm good, glad I got my master's, but I think I'm good on school. But there are always questions like, why did we choose this curriculum? Is this the best for our English language learners? How come I'm the only person who looks like me in this setting or this field or this conference? Like, I want to learn more. So I think just naturally being a curious kid and, um, and, my inquiry didn't stop even after my master's program. And so then it was just like, I want more answers. I think I need to go back to school. And I actually moved to San Diego and I started teaching um, the literacy methods course for um, teacher credential students and just love San Diego State. Thought it would be a great place to continue my learning and then applied and um, got into the program. So. Now I'm a third year, um, like you said, and it's crazy. It goes so much faster than you think it's going to go while at the same time you're like, are we done yet? Um, so, yeah. And that's really interesting that you're sharing about having that, that question of like always questioning, hmm, is this the right way to do things? Is this um, the right curriculum? Um, I, I say that because I am currently homeschooling my son who's uh, seven and just finished uh, first grade. And I feel like that's the, the, the common thing among a lot of academics is that, you know, no matter what you do, you always have that questioning, like you're that critical 
uh, perspective and always wanting to have answers to questions. But I'm curious if you could share also um, how you got into fashion too. So like maybe that intersection or the convergence between your interest in education as a whole and then also your interest in fashion. Yes, definitely. So my mom actually graduated with a bachelor's in fashion merchandising. And so since I was really young, I've always been around my mom, she used to sew things. She would make um, herself a skirt and me the matching dress for holidays. Um, my dad and my brother are creatives as well. So just being in a family of creative people. And I learned how to sew probably when I was like seven or eight, but never took it too seriously. Wasn't patient enough to follow all the rules. So just used it um, to maybe tailor something or make something look different than what other people could buy. And it wasn't until after college, probably like my fifth or sixth year teaching, it was a really hard year. And so what became my happy place was sewing. I could have the worst day at work, but I came home and I could sew. And I think it's so ironic how hard sewing is for it to be stress relieving. And it's because it's so hard. It takes all of your critical thinking, your problem solving, your math skills, your creativity to sew that you can't think about what happened during the day. You can't think about what's on your to-do list. So I think that's what really was my reemergence into sewing. And then I started a, an after-school club at work. So I taught second through fifth graders how to sew. And it was at that point where I realized it was so much more than just making a pillow. I was teaching critical thinking. I was teaching what you do when something doesn't work. And I think it's very unfortunate that sewing isn't really considered STEM or STEAM because it is science and technology and math and art and it's all of those things. So. That's when I got back into it. And then last year, the world gave us a pandemic. And it was really after, I don't want anyone to think that I was like, woohoo, free time, what do I do? No, those first five weeks were, what What do I make of my life? This is not how I live. And then it was like, what would you do that you haven't done because you haven't had time? And that's when the Scholarly Sewist was created. And the scholarly sewists really finally put all my interests together. I knew that I needed a space that was really me and that was interwoven. And then it was Femmed, which is actually like my first print. I was going to ask you about it too. I was like, talk to me about this shirt. <laughs> Femmed really is looking at the female intersection of the PhD. And so even in these first three years, knowing that, hey, this is hard enough, but it's harder when you're female. It's harder when you're a woman of color. So how, like what word even can, what word can show that? And so finally, fem. I always said I was going to make up a word. You know, you read these articles, you're like, oh, I've never heard that before. I didn't know my word was going to be fem, but it really does speak to this existence of being both a woman and pursuing this PhD. And so that was my first print. Um, I created a website. I 
started selling it and then realizing that it was resonating with other women. And that's when the community started taking off. Um, I'm really glad that you mentioned about the shirt because I was thinking you said it's, you know, it's primarily for women, women of color, um, and to stress how um, you said it's like the intersection of being a woman and being um, in a PhD program. But I can also see how it would also um, be great for like feminine presenting individuals, for non-binary folks, because you still go through the similar microaggressions in academia, similar struggles. Um, I wanted to ask you though a little bit more about this, the scholarly sewist as a whole. So I know you have you have this, um, you said it's your, um, lo not logo, but it's um, <laughs> like blanking out on the word. It's print. It it's a print, thank you. <laughs> you have that print. Um, I, I checked out your IG and I know you have the research her, the, the really cute sweaters too. And I was like, mm, I'm gonna need one of those. <laughs> <laughs> I need to go into your online shop and get myself one of those. And so um, where do you get these ideas from and what are like your goals or what are you, like, what are you ambition, like the future of the scholarly? So it's because I myself, like I just started this podcast just, just for fun, just for the sake of like putting the message out there. I was like, there's so much that I'm learning as I'm guiding these students and I want to put the message out there. But I feel like there's so much more you can do with an online community. So that's why I'm curious for you. You know, you did get this started last year. And I think you it's probably grown a lot since then. So yeah, what you know, initially what what did you think it was gonna be? What is it now and maybe your goals for the future? Um, initially I just thought it was a release of my creative self. I think so many of us go into this PhD journey and you see other people allow the PhD to overtake who they are. And I just knew coming into this program that I still wanted to be me. And so when I think like at my core, who am I, what do I believe? It's really the intersection of teaching, traveling, and sewing. And so thinking of that, the scholarly sewist became a place where I can talk about the scholar part of me. I could talk about the sewist part of me and I could talk about the sightseer part of me. And so that's how it began. And I thought it would be, you know, a blog post here, a picture here, and some people I know in my merchandise. And then very quickly, I call it my first stranger buy. When someone I did not know purchased the first item, I was like, they get it. There are people out here that resonate with this idea. And I also want everyone to know that while I center women of color, this community is for everyone. It's for everyone who understands that our plight and our journey is a little different. So be here as a co-conspirator, be here as a supporter, and also wear the merchandise. So this is not to say that men can't be femme. This is opening up the space for just the acknowledgement and the centering of some some people who are usually marginalized along these journeys and really making a place to center it. But researcher came, I was actually playing with my mom's embroidery machine and teaching myself how to embroider using um, YouTube videos. And I kept writing researcher. And it was in that moment that the herd jumped out at me. And I was like, oh my goodness, think about how many times we've seen this word. But this idea that you cannot spell researcher without her. And that message just resonated with me. So that's when the researcher um, collection 
came about and that's been the most popular collection. And so people have told me that they feel empowered wearing their sweatshirt, like they're wearing their sweatshirt or their um, t-shirt when they're presenting or when they're teaching and just for other people to feel like they have something that outwardly shows who they are and why they do this work, I think is really important. And the researcher, it's not just re research and her, but like it, there's that play on words. So it's not just I'm a researcher and you need the her or there's a her in it, but also some some folks are researching her. You know, they're researching women, uh, women of color, them presenting. You know, so it's it's so it's it's such a great <laughs> word to use. Um, and I really like what you're saying about feeling empowered when wearing something like this when wearing a sweatshirt or whatever it is that you choose to wear because um just when I was thinking about how we were going to have this conversation and I was thinking about my own impressions of fashion and clothing and um or even thinking about my own students that I serve and for me growing up uh, you know I grew up um single parent household you know, my mom, six kids, low, low income and, and fashion was always to me like this thing that like, we couldn't afford to buy new clothes, you know, so you know, going and getting like secondhand um, clothes, or I would wear a lot of my brother's clothing when I was a kid. So I always looked like, you know, like a little, they would call me a tomboy just because I wore a lot of my brother's clothes. And so for me, and then even going into like undergrad, and being expected to dress professionally, you know, professionally, that felt very oppressive and also very, it just reminded me of my class status of like, I can't afford the nice clothes. Like, I feel awkward wearing professional clothes. And, um, but what you're saying is actually there is an empowering message. And I think for me, now that I'm older <laughs> and more comfortable in my own skin, it has been true. I don't, I no longer tell my students, oh, for this event, dress business professional, I say dress in whatever makes you feel your best. Yeah. Uh, and so I would love for you to just kind of expand more on that on like fashion and clothing as a means of empowerment, because I think that's a really uh, important message for folks to hear, especially if folks are feeling like the way that I felt when I was an undergrad, you know, just not 100% always comfortable in their own skin. And I do think, especially for those of us who may not have felt like, do I belong here? Like, do I fit in? Fashion is a way of expressing, no, I've, I'm, I'm here. I've earned my space. I want you to see me. I'm going to resonate and live and take up space here because I deserve it. And I think style is one way to do that. And I also think that what is professional dress what is um, business casual and who gets to make those rules and so really being able to say I can wear a graphic tee when I defend my dissertation I can wear jeans when I present at this educational conference and because that doesn't change my expertise that doesn't change my content and so I think there's so much power in being able to say, I made a choice about what I put on and both my clothing and my words are here to make a statement. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I, I think that that message, one, I'm getting a lot out of like thinking about fashion and clothing as a means of empowerment, but then two, kind of going back to what you said earlier, you mentioned that with the pandemic, 
there's so many like horrible things that happened to a lot of us, but then at the same time, a lot of us have, um, have pointed out that there have been silver linings and your silver lining was you were able to like make that space to think about the things that, um, like I said, it's like, if, what, what could I not do before? Because I didn't have maybe the time, the space, the energy for it. And I think that has been true for a lot of folks, at least in my, the conversations I've been having is that the pandemic has shed light to our priorities. Um, and also um, some of the folks that I know that have not only survived, but thrived in graduate school or thrive currently in academia are the folks that have hobbies that where their identity is not 100% tied to academia. And so I was wondering like, if you could share a little bit more about that, like, you know, your hobbies, what else you do, um, or even it's summer, it's, you know, summer's officially here. Like, what are some of the things that you're looking forward to in the summer? I know you've got your uh, proposal or prospectus. Um, I always forget, I'm like, people call it a different thing. But I'm sure there are other things too that you're going to be prioritizing this summer. So could you share a little bit more about maybe like the hobby aspect and, and the su summer and just everything else that kind of helps you keep going? Yes, I think that's a great point. Um, your hobbies are what preserve you when some of your nine to five or day job things get taken away. And so I found myself, again, I'm from Virginia. So my San Diego squad is really San Diego State University. So being drastically taken from being on campus, being removed from teaching my students in person really changed. What does this look like when I really do stay in my apartment? My family's 3000 miles away. So it is the hobbies. That's when I rewatch Project Runway and I would so <laughs> I'm not gonna lie, I like Project Runway too. I love it, I love it so much. <laughs> and so it really wore, it was the hobbies that kept me. And so now, I mean, I think we can all argue like as an academic, especially a PhD student, is summer really any different than the um, school year? Because I'm still teaching classes. I'm still writing and trying to get this proposal defended, but I am excited about the possibility of opening up travel more safely, of course, um, being mindful that this pandemic is still not over and there are still many communities and spaces that have work to do. Um, but being able to get back to sewing and traveling are some of my, my goals and intentions for this summer. And also just getting, I just started going back to Pilates. So making sure um, you have a physical space and not that it means you have to look a certain way to reemerge in the world, but what makes you feel good? Pilates was a really good break from the back-to-back -back meetings I have um, on a daily basis. Uh, so yes, I think, you know, we all need to find routines uh, and just things that help us um, just take care of ourselves, whether it's, you know, our, our physical health or mental health or, uh, spiritual health. And, and some of the things that, that you do, um, will help with that, whether it's the Pilates or whether it's the sewing and even the traveling. I know I I've been kind of keeping track and a lot of countries are starting to open up their borders to, to, to travel or to tourism. And uh, just out of curiosity, where are some places you might want to visit? And just out of, just cause you know, it, it doesn't hurt to just, 
to dream and to plan <laughs> for travel? Right. Um, I actually have been a lot of places. So now it's Ooh, share. <laughs> I'll try. I can't even remember them all at this point. Some of my favorite places are Rome, El Salvador, Cuba, Switzerland was probably my last international trip. I've been to Mexico, Barcelona, London, Costa Rica. I love Puerto Rico. Um, just to name a few. Wow. Where would you want to go if, if, you know, things work out and borders open up and you're able to do that? Um, I am thinking of Mexico, possibly Cabo or something even um, closer. Being in San Diego, you do have the advantage of being pretty close to Mexico. And so also not really feeling comfortable to be an eight hour flight away, right? Yeah. Um, so I think Mexico will probably be my first international trip in this new reemergence into travel. Um, also looking to see which of the educational conferences this upcoming year are going to return to in-person and what um, safety procedures they have in place and seeing if there are any um, exciting places via conferences to go to. Yeah, you know, um, before before I started doing undergraduate research, travel always felt like such a luxury. It was just something that was just too not attainable. And then uh, you know, I started doing research, started going to academic conferences, and I realized actually I could get a travel grant and get pay or get you know some funding to be able to pay to travel to wherever these conferences are. And those those are some of the things that my students are learning now. And it's, it's, um, I think it's, uh, what's the word? Like, I'm glad that, to hear that some conferences are starting to um, make plans for things to kind of reemerge in person. And I know that's something that you said earlier too, that, uh, or at least in your bio, that you're looking forward to things opening up. And um, what are, you said possibly Pilates, possibly traveling. Is there anything else that you're uh, looking forward to in the summer uh, that just, for our students to hear, to get some ideas. Cause I, I do want, I know we're talking about fashion, but now that you mentioned the travel, I, I wish that someone would have told me just how attainable it can be. If you, if you budget, if you get funding, if you, or even some folks do travel hacking though. I don't, I haven't fully kind of figured that out, but, <laughs> but there are a lot of ways to do it. So yeah, what are some other things that you're looking forward to now that things are reopening? Yes, I think travel, especially as a student, is something that is so much more attainable than a lot of people think. And I also think it's part of those knowing what's available at your university. And so there are many of my student travel have been because I was presenting at a conference and was able to receive a travel grant. And so I would definitely recommend either at your university, like start at your department, go wider to the university, but also the actual conference. There's a lot of conferences that offer um, discounts or funding grants for students to attend. And so I think going back to the beginning of our conversation, like not being afraid to take up space. And so many 
people, students on these budgets, um, knowing that our universities sometimes are not funding our programs or aren't funding the extra things, knowing that it's okay to write an email. I've been accepted to present at this conference. However, my budget doesn't allow me to, to make this purchase. Is there anything you can do? And I think you'd be surprised how many of these conferences and different organizations do open it up to grad students and knowing that students are the future of these fields and these spaces. So creating a space and I'm, I've never been to an educational conference without a roommate. So knowing that it is expensive and you may have to figure out what is um, worth it and how to budget and I'm bringing my own snacks. They always have tea and coffee um, outside in the hallway. So thinking of how to make it work, but traveling is one of my priorities. So I will not eat out or not go to all the brunches with my friends during the summer because I know I'm saving up for these travel um, experiences. I know, I feel like I'm going to have to have a separate episode on, on budgeting because uh, that's, a, that's something that's coming up right now. But the other thing that you mentioned that I think a lot of folks don't realize, and I certainly didn't when I was in grad school, is that, and I, as someone, I self-identify as being introverted, I've struggled with, uh, or I used to before I had my kids. So I've got a seven-year-old and a seven-month-old, but before I struggled to advocate for myself, I struggled to be the squeaky wheel. And then it wasn't until later on that I realized, oh, it was the person that asked, was the person that sent that email, was the person that notified others that got the funding. There are sources of funding if you are a graduate student, whether it's, like you said, through your department, through a different center, through the conference itself. If you are the squeaky wheel, if you are the one that kind of goes out and asks, you never know where you might get some of that funding to be able to travel if that is like a priority or that is something that you really want to do. One thing that I've been, that I'm trying to focus more on now um, for myself and for my students and, you know, anybody else who listens to this podcast is I think with the pandemic, there's been so much negativity. There's been huge impacts on people's families, on people's lives. Um, and there's been also an impact on folks and their mental health. And I think that we need to prioritize and make more space for joy. And, um, you know, one student recently told me like, I kind of want to study abroad, but I don't know, like, should I do it? And I'm like, what would you regret more? <laughs> Not going or going. And so like, if you really want to go, you should do it, you know, like, let's figure it out. But um, I think we're, we're getting closer to wrapping up. And I really, I want, I would love to, to hear from you just, anything that might help kind of motivate students right now, a lot of them are, are lacking motivation. They're feeling low morale. Um, like, and I keep telling them to not just prioritize their, their research, but to find ways to look forward to whatever the next step is. So if the next step is graduate school as a master's or a PhD, like to, to make space for joy. And that I, just from my conversations of other pe with other people who, who are currently graduate students, it sounds like a lot of folks are prioritizing themselves and are making space for joy and are traveling and are doing these things and not necessarily tying themselves and their identities to academia. So 
yeah, maybe um, whatever you might want to share along the lines of like motivating and just reminding them like, yeah, you can go to graduate school and still have a life. <laughs> yes, I'd say it again for the people in the back. I think there's so much and we talk about this space of academia that is broadcast to us, that is the traditional space. And so for a lot of people, I don't have people in my family who have a PhD and thinking it's not like you're turning to your uncle or your grandma asking these questions we're turning to each other so I do think finding your people is so important and I just posted actually today about some of the best guidance and mentorship I found from women who were in my same program but a few years ahead of me they I, I can see them working on the ground. I can see them doing the work. I can see them on their tired days, but I can see them as they're accomplishing their goals. And then they can tell me like, hey, now I'm at this step and this is how it was. Now I've graduated and this is how it was. Now I'm on the job hunt and this is how it is. So looking for your people, but I also say you were a whole full human being before you came to school, whether it be undergrad, graduate, um PhD so please don't lose yourself in this process if you give this process everything you have you will change I am completely more knowledgeable more reflective um more inspired and more heartbroken as I learn all of the ins and outs of theory and history and um, marginalized populations and what that means in policy and funding. And sometimes I'm like, oh my gosh, why do we do all of this? Um, but other times I'm like, this is my place. Like I found the place to make my mark and knowing that your mark doesn't have to, we're not all going to be the presidents of AERA or these national organizations, but your work is necessary. And if you know your why, that's what sustains you. I know that I, I research for black and brown girls and their um, educational experiences. I know that the work that I'm putting into the world is necessary for the communities that I'm serving. And I also know that my purpose is not just my work. My purpose is being a family member. My purpose is being a really good friend. My purpose is finding the things that make me happy, which is are sewing and teaching and traveling. And so making sure that I always keep that space. And you also mentioned mental health. Go to therapy. Therapy is for everyone, whether you are breaking down at the moment or you are in a great season of joy. Therapy is good. Check your student benefits, check your student employee benefits, many spaces, especially because mental health has been put on a more prominent um, space this year. I know a lot of universities are um, acknowledging that and creating more spaces, whether it's group therapy, you drop in, check in, um, but really take care of yourself because the work is still going to be here um, when we're long gone. And so making sure that you stay whole and really show up fully in this world. That's so important. I love what you said about my purpose is not just my work. I, I, I love that. Um, and I, and I, I feel like for you, just having this com short conversation with you, 
I get this impression that you're very clear about your priorities and your values and and you seem so self-assured and I feel like psh, you're gonna be set like <laughs> like you don't you don't need academia academia needs you <laughs> exactly. and I hope that that can be true for anybody else that's listening to just remind themselves like your purpose is not just your work figure out what your values are figure out what your priorities are and then center them in what you do even as you go on to graduate school or whatever i, I say grad school because it's grad school mentoring but whatever the next step is for you a lot of my students are graduating right now so they're all really thinking hard long and hard about the, their next steps um i think that's a really really great message that you shared with and them. i think also for anyone graduating graduating undergrad right now knowing that you don't have to know right now I think that is so important, especially with, I've had classmates in my um, doctoral program who are almost 10 years younger than me. And it's like, wait, should I have done this 10 years ago? No, I couldn't have. There's no way I could do what I'm doing right now 10 years ago. So everyone has their timing and your timing doesn't depend on anyone else's timeline. And so knowing that it was my 10 years in elementary school classrooms that invigorated me with my why. I needed every single 10, all 10 of those years to be able to sustain what I'm doing now. There, there weren't the lessons in the year one and two that would sustain me through an entire PhD program. So live your life, find your joy, find your why, and that will propel you and assure you on the days that this journey is really hard, that you're in the right place and you're doing what you were put here to do. That's right. We all have our own timelines and it doesn't have to be from point A to B to C and at a certain age you do X, at a certain age you do Y. And also you can be on this journey and you're allowed to change and you're allowed to change your mind and you're allowed to change careers. <laughs> and decide is not for you and do yeah. whatever. So I think really leaning into the process. And so schooling is a process. It's not just about the piece of paper at the end of it. And knowing mm -hmm. that we learn in spaces outside of traditional schooling. So and that's a form of education as yeah. well. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, I've learned so much just at, at post PhD. <laughs> Uh, and on my own terms, you know, whether it's a podcast or a book or an audiobook, like I've learned, I've gained so much. And, and that's one thing that I hope that, you know, I think my students will always, or just listeners, anybody take with them is that you can always learn and you don't have to necessarily have access to the ivory tower and those resources and the, the, what is it? The, the, <laughs> like um paywall pay, like paywalled uh sources and articles and all these things like there are ways for you to learn that are just as valid um but yeah i yeah i i just want to kind of echo everything that you've said about it's okay to do things on your own terms in your own time set your own values and um define success for yourself yeah now that we're um kind of going to the end, I, I actually wanted to ask you, uh, how can others kind of learn more about you, follow you, get in touch with you, if, if they found a lot of what you said kind of resonates with them and they wanna 
you know, keep hearing from you, support your work, support your shop and all the other things you're doing. Yes, definitely join the community over at The Scholarly Sois on Instagram and Facebook. And I'm also on tw Twitter, not as actively, at Scholarly Sois. Um, IG is there. You can also go to my website, thescholarlysoist.com. And so please join in, shop, post, comment, and really in this second year, um, really opening up more. So being able to start some Instagram lives to really help answer questions or demystify some of this process. That's awesome. Yeah, I'll make sure um, to link you when I share uh, the flyer to this podcast episode on my IG. I want to thank you so much for your time, Rika. It means a lot, you know, that you just made the space and time for this, you know, for folks to, to hear you out, to um, listen to your message, to support your work. And yeah, that's, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This is awesome. Let's do it again. Yes. Thanks so much for joining me in the Grad School Fem Touring Podcast. If you liked what you heard, please rate this podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you tune in. You can also support the podcast by donating to my Patreon page, Anger page, or Venmo account, which is at Grad School Fem Touring. If you have questions or episode topics, you can contact me by sending me a DM on Instagram, sending me an email to gradschoolfemtouring at gmail.com, sending me a voice message on Anchor, or sending me a message via my personal website at eventmartinezvu.com. Until next time. <laughs>